Welcome to Know Your Gear podcast episode 331. I feel like the mic's really close. <laughs> Anyways, Andy says, hey Phil, do you generally prefer a full-size humbucker or a strat-sized uh, on such as the chopper in your strat bridge and why? I'm generally a full-size humbucker in the bridge. Look, I prefer single coil pickups. That's what I prefer. I will play single coil pickups uh, for for me. Like if I was going to play just for me, no one else, <laughs> I prefer single coil pickups or P90s. I like the way they interact with the amp. I like the uh, I like the high end top and sparkle. I like the articulation. I like a lot of things about them, but I'm not a, uh, but um, versatility wise, I don't think single coils are super versatile. Obviously, sometimes they can be loud and noisy from successful hum. Also, they sometimes lack uh, the uh, punch and, and some of the, uh, fullness that a humbucker has so like when it's a guitar that i'm using uh, and i say dare say for work but for demonstration you know demoing a product reviewing a product playing with others i'm going to go humbucker 90 percent of the time um in fact uh but in a perfect world i'm always humbucker on the bridge and then a single coil in in the neck um so that's like my that's my um compromise that, that i love that works out great for me but uh, as far as a mini humbucker in the bridge i'm sure i have a guitar with a mini humbucker in the bridge i can't think of one right now <laughs> a mini one um but you know if there's no other choice that's what i'll use i like them i like uh the, like the chopper's a good pickup i love it and i actually prefer it in the neck for me personally but um like i said if you want to put it in a single coil spot it's a great pickup but if you have the room put a full-size humbucker in there i think it's just going to sound a little fuller and bigger. I just like the way that sounds in the bridge. Uh, Eric Lucas says, Phil, can you suggest a pre-wired kit to upgrade my Les Paul st- uh, standard similar to the Dark Moon kit you used in Sharpen My Axe uh, number five? Um, well, there's the Dark Moon kit. <laughs> so there's always that. Um, I'm a little biased. Let me, let me go here and I'm going to show you. Uh, I'm a little biased when it comes to kits. So I, I, I always want to, I just want to disclose that. Okay, um, here's why. Um, let me show you this. So on Sweetwater, they have DiMarzio kits. So here's a Les Paul wiring harness that's uh, 179. Um, these kits um, I suggest to you guys, but here's the, dis- this is the bias part. Um, it was uh, my idea. <laughs> Um, and now of course you can't have an idea to wiring kits, obviously tons of companies have been doing them for years. Um, so it's not so much the uh, idea of the kit was my idea, but it was me. I really thought I talked to uh, Larry and I said, look, you really should do pre-wire kits. That's the future. Um, you know, uh, we had a conversation, I want to say in 2020, it might've been 2019, me and him were talking and we were talking about, um, how sales of pickups have increased so much dramatically online, of course, right? Like everything online. And I told him, I said, look, one thing I think every, uh, major pickup manufacturer should think about is making their own line of pre-wired harness because, you know, somebody's buying the pickups online. Sure, they buy them online. They take them to their local repair guy and they have them do it. But a lot of them are doing it themselves. And, you know, it's not that hard to do a kit, just a couple wires. And a lot of, and his actually pushbacks, you know, was, yeah, but they're really overpriced. They're really expensive for you get. You know, you're getting just a little few parts and it's expensive. And I said, yeah, but you have to factor in the labor, you know, the labor rates. Now, I didn't know then what I know now, which is the labor rates have really gotten out of crazy, out of control. So labor rates have really increased across the country here uh, when it comes to repair labor rates. So, 
now these kits are actually more in line for something like that. But, and some of you guys are saying Matt Hatter. Look, there's a ton. There's the D920 D Customs. Uh, there's so many places to get them from, but I'm just going to explain my argument. My argument is is that it's a uh, it's brands are trust issues. So, like if you're buying Demarzio pickups, you'll trust Demarzio's wiring harness. So there you go. And I don't know if you guys know, um, Demarzio has been notoriously known for decades of having the best potentiometers, the best uh, you know the best selection of parts and and parts and components. Um, one of my favorite switches ever is a DiMaggio switch. That's just amazing. Three-way. It's a three-way and a five-way switch. That's kind of really cool. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, I'm just suggesting those because, like I said, I had a hand in that uh, in that uh, launch, and I just installed one of those in one of my guitars yesterday. So uh, not the Les Paul. I did the Strat one. So. Um, but there's tons, like I said, uh, uh, all the ones we just did, 920D uh, uh, pre-wire kits. Um, there's so many pre-wire kits out there. I don't know of any ones that are bad ones. Even if you, uh, even if you, um, you know, go to some of the cheaper ones. Um, Unfreaking Believer says, very disappointed in the quality of the Mad Hatter kit. Really, it's interesting. So, um, Unfreaking Believer I wonder, did you let that guy know? Uh, so here's what I know about Mad Hatter. I know very little about them. Okay, but I know this. Um, he, the owner, is in Arizona, and I bumped into him in a guitar center once, and he, um, you know, I've done <laughs> big, big, uh, big, big deal about to happen. I'm about to hit 1,000 videos on YouTube, okay? Um, that is uh, a big deal. <laughs> I don't know why it is a big deal, but it's a big deal to me. So it's a big deal. Um, hold on. Went, now went, my light went dark because I'm looking at something. Hold on. I just want to see how far we are from it. I'm at 998 videos right now. So I'm closing up on 1,000 videos. And um, the reason I tell you that it was he, he said something to me like, thank you for suggesting my product. And I, he said I used him in a video. And I can't remember using him in a video. I probably did a Sharp Max or something with it. But like I said, after a while thousand videos <laughs> just uh, so anyways a uh, nice enough guy so the reason i asked you if you reached out to him because oh yeah you said uh on freaking saying yeah he's in cave creek um the reason i ask is because you know quality can always be bad or there can always be issues but i'm curious to see uh what he was like when you were t if you talked to him and if you haven't talked to him um that's my always suggestion is you know reach out to those guys because um the <laughs> the funny part about this is there are a lot of horrible people in this industry that if you called them you'd probably never want to buy their products again and so and when i find someone who's pleasant i'm always like make sure you call them because it may turn your whole experience around it might you never know but like i said um and if you guys have suggestions for other kits too um like I said, I tend not to use kits personally. So they, they're things I've used in videos and I'll suggest, like I said, this DiMaggio thing because I had my hand in that uh, for you guys. But um, I, you can imagine I'm so uh, fast at it. You know, I've done so many of these, uh, you know, wiring jobs and wiring is definitely more of my forte than anything else um, that, you know, I can't just, I personally can't justify the kit prices. And I bought some, don't get me wrong. I bought some, <laughs> just curious, but... I, you know, for me personally, I already have the parts downstairs. And so I'm like, okay, I can pay $179 for a kit, but I already have all the pots, all of the switches and all the wire and everything downstairs. And it takes me about 20 minutes to do it. So I can't justify it, but I love, trust me, I'm envious of you guys that use the kits because dude, time is money and that time is valuable. You know, just throwing in a kit and getting to play in, in 10 minutes is awesome. Um, so 
Huh. That's a weird and strange question, and I love it. <laughs> this question was from Milo's Digital Adventures. Says, hey, Phil, love the show. What are your thoughts on why so so few pedal manufacturers make tuner pedals? No Warwiss uh, tuner, no Wampler tuner, no Strymon tuner. You know, it's one of those questions that I know the answer. Well, at least I can assume I know the answer I'm going to tell you. But you actually, the way you, this question is actually interesting. The answer is simple. It's because a lot of those companies aren't digital platform companies. They're not known for tuners. Obviously, companies like Peterson and Korg and Boss, you know, they're going to dominate the market. Again, trusted brands, right? You trust a brand, a tuner brand to make you a tuner pedal um, more so than others. And, you know, if uh, Fender's made tuner pedals, so is, I think Peavy's made it. I think Peavy's made a tuner pedal. I know Fender did. Um, and there's all kinds of pedals, that, uh, companies that made tuner pedals, but you know, people are going to trust the tuner brands. But like I just said a minute ago about DiMaggio, yeah, you're right. Maybe if Wampler had a tuner pedal, somebody's just like, I like Wampler's product. I like, you know, where his company is. I like him on YouTube. Let's buy a pedal from him, from tuner, the uh, tuner pedal. My guess though is, this is the down thing. My guess is that if they, majority of those companies we just mentioned, if they were to do a tuner pedal, they would probably just have it sourced in other words they would have it built somewhere else overseas i don't know of any of the tuner pedals and if you guys do i didn't look at my peterson i just got a peterson one i didn't look where it was made do you guys know um i'm assuming the boss tuner pedals made in taiwan right because a lot of the boss stuff's made in taiwan it's not made in japan anymore but um i'm assuming that most all the tuner pedals are made in china or you know, or Korea or Taiwan or maybe even Japan, but I don't know of any actual USA made tuner pedals. So, you know, and once they kind of have that technology and it's done, it's just easy to go, okay, yeah, slap our logo on it or slap this shape on it. So, but it, but the interesting question you pose is why don't they do it? Says, um, Mike says, what maybe tuner pedals are just boring. People who invent pedals uh, want to make interesting new sounds and, uh, and tuners are silent. Um, I, I could see that that's actually a great point, but interesting thing about pedal companies is they're constantly making new pedals because that's how they keep their momentum going, um, is constantly selling you a new pedal. <laughs> the pedal market has a good margin. There is a good margin there, but it's not a great volume, right? So that becomes the problem. You know, if you guys follow Josh Scott, you know, one thing about Josh Scott is um, I, I, uh, I was given some advice once. Uh, I like to share this stuff by a, a friend that I, I, I won't say his name, but he's a, a large YouTube channel, very smart. And he told me we were talking and he said something passively and he was complimenting me, <laughs> you know, complimenting me and my channel. We were talking. That's uh, how we became friends. And then what he said was, uh, we were t I was talking about channels on YouTube, and he goes, I don't trust any channels on YouTube that didn't do the thing that they do on YouTube before they did YouTube. <laughs> and I don't necessarily 100% agree with that. I'm laughing because I just remember, like, when he said it to me, it cut me off guard. And so, like, obviously, you know, uh, I'm a repair channel, and I did repair for, you know, almost 20 years. Uh, so I understand what he's saying. Like, okay, I get it. I did that. And now I'm sharing, you know, how to do it on videos. Um, and Josh Scott is somebody, when I see him talking, you can tell, like, he's not just thinking of content and creating content. He's just sharing 
the years and years and years of what he's been doing and it just feels like content which is why for a while i was really it was easy for me to make content for so long because everything was just like oh this is what i've been saying this here or doing that and i'll just share it with people with a camera um but back to josh scott um you know he talks about the margins and pedals a lot he talks about that but what he's also talked about if you guys watched him is you'd be shocked to see how few pedals have sold in certain categories right to us maybe a pedal you think of it's huge and they've sold 10 million and they've sold like 3,000 you know some pedals you know you hear like they sold 10,000 and you're like that's a lot in the grand scheme it's not a lot you know um like uh for instance uh I think if I recall I remember when uh, Dave Freeman mentioned that the BEOD pedal had sold, I think, uh, hold on, I'm going to guess because I'm, I'm going to, I can't remember what number, but I think I knew. Yeah, I was right. It was 10,000 units, right? Is that right? 10,000 units? Let's see this because I, I can, I'm going backwards because I remember the number. I'll tell you the number, but I'm just doing my math here. So it was, I think it was 10,000 units, um, which was a, uh, like, a, or maybe it was, maybe it was 5,000 units. It was a million dollars. They, they sold a million dollars in paddles. So you get the idea. It was like $200 a paddle. So you do the math on that. So $200 a paddle times, let's say, you know, 5,000 units. It was a million dollars. And you're like, wow, a million dollars, <laughs> right? And then you go, okay. And then I started doing the, you know, reversing the math in my head going, okay, well, they sold the pedals for 200 bucks. That means the dealers bought them for probably 110, right? Maybe 120. And uh, so, okay, they're making 80 bucks on that, on those pedals, right? Which sounds good, but that's the physical, uh, you know, amount for the difference of selling the pedal to them, not the marketing costs, not the free pedal sent to, to uh, you know, YouTubers and, 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 and the ads in guitar world and uh, the, the videos made and stuff. And then, you know, I could see where you, that number all of a sudden turns into like, maybe, maybe quarter million, maybe, maybe even let's give them, a, you know, half a million dollars. You're like, wow, half a million dollars. And you're like, that's a lot of money. But in the grand scheme of business, <laughs> right? You know, there's there's kids on TikTok selling socks for $13 million. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's just, it's not a huge, massive, you know, you're not going to retire. He's Dave Freeman's not going to go, oh, I sold, I sold 5,000 pedals. Let me go buy my Malibu mansion. <laughs> he's like, he's got to go back to work the next day. Um, and same with these guys too. So it's, it's, um, that's why they're constantly coming up with pedals constantly. So actual tuner pedal, I understand what you're saying about them being more excited about, uh, you know, overdrives and, and sounds versus tuner pedals. But a tuner pedal, it would be a good market for a lot of these guys. They just maybe there's like I said, maybe they just don't feel like they could add anything to the the market. It'd be interesting. I, I would be like I said, I would be interested to see if somebody actually does that. I would think. Um, somebody like Wampler would be really good at putting out a tuner pedal because Wampler has a, a guy who does digital design because of boutique and they could probably knock that out. So yeah, somebody HK says that was hilarious. TikTok socks. That's an actual thing I saw. I didn't just pull that out of my ass. You know, I watched this thing about these two 20 year old kids that were uh, living on this house in this house in like San Diego, right off the beach. And they literally sell like socks on TikTok, like goofy looking socks on TikTok, and they'd made like thirteen million dollars. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, holy crap! And then you're, you know, and then you're like, oh, you could build guitars, and you can make probably twenty grand. You could sell goofy socks, and you can make thirteen million. Sounds like a, sounds like who's the idiot here? 
So, all right. Oh, I'll go back to that. Why is it doing that? Okay. All right. Let's uh, go to what? Let's go to another uh, pre, uh, pre-show question. Um, 250 any, I'm doing something wrong. Oh, 251. And so it's, I think that's what it is, like, right? Spelled out 251. I, sometimes I think I shouldn't even read these, but I think there's some kind of, maybe there's fun, twisted humor and me jacking up everybody's name. It's a, you know, I, I feel a lot better. I, I saw a Rick Beato live stream uh, a few months ago and he was just butchering the hell out of everybody's names. And I'm like, good. I think Rick Beato is way smarter than me. And if he can't say anybody's name, I shouldn't feel bad. So anyways, he says, uh, 251 says, I got to mention it. Fender Tone Master Pro. What? There's a thing? There's a t- Fender came out with a, wait, are you saying Fender came out with a multi-process this week? How would, how did you guys find out about it? <laughs> I'm just laughing. That's my humor. Cause man, did I get onslaughted from every, <laughs> I was convinced. I was like, I'm pretty sure they sent my wife one and my friend down the street. I don't even know why they <laughs> I think they sent everyone one. Okay, so uh, what's my thoughts? Uh, I have a lot of thoughts, obviously. So you guys know, and all uh, and full, you know, kind of transparency. I saw the leaked video. There was a guy who leaked a video. I believe Michael Nielsen uh, from the Amazing Michael Nielsen channel sent me a text and sent me the link or the leak video like a week earlier, and I was like, oh, <laughs> and I looked at it. Um, Okay, so uh, for those that maybe were under a rock or for some reason had all social media turned off this week, uh, Fender has come out with a multiprocessor to compete with Headrush, uh, Axe FX, Kemper, uh, you know, Tonex, uh, you know, uh, uh, Line 6 Helix, you name it. It's a multiprocessor stuff. Um, I watched um, uh, I watched a few videos on it. I did. Um, and... Uh, and there was a lot of good videos about it. I was I was curious, like all you guys. Um, it's kind of one of those things. Um, I was again, I was a little shocked at first at the price point. The price point took me aback for a second. It was like sixteen hundred dollars U.S. I was like, "Woo, all right, uh, a <laughs> little bit more than I thought it was going to be." But here's how I look at it. It's it's a lot of people talked about how it was the evolution of the Tone Master amp series. Like that makes sense. I don't really understand that logic. You're, you're totally right, whatever you think. You're probably smarter than me, but I didn't understand that those statements. I was like, how does digital single-modeled amps then lead to a multi-processor unit? I mean, I get that, but to me, the, the Tone Master Pro um, is more about, look, there, you know, uh, Fender is, this isn't the first effects processor Fender came out with. Remember, they came out with the, Me- the Mustang effects processor. It was a, uh, they did that at that time to compete with obviously what was coming out from Line 6 and PV and all those guys when they were doing the multiprocessor stuff. Just makes sense. There's a market for it. Um, what Fender will do well, I assume, because uh, again, I've only seen some of the videos on it, is I'm sure they did, um, they dumbed it down for us, man. That's what Fender does. That's one of the things that Fender has been good at for years is making product that the average consumer can just use, you know? Um, so the learning curve on it seems a lot easier. Uh, one thing I will tell you, and again, I like the Headrush unit when it came to how it interfaced. I thought the Headrush unit was probably the easiest, simplest thing that I could mess with. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And I was super excited when I got it. And then 
I didn't love anything about it. And again, this is back to the, it's good enough, right? It's good enough gear, okay? It was, there's no complaints. There was no, some of you guys are going to, some of you guys are like, it sounds amazing. And other people are going to start screaming in the comments, oh, it sounds like crap. And you're both right. How about that? But the reality is, uh, I didn't, I didn't feel connected to it in sound wise. I liked at that time, the line six product better, the helix. I thought the helix sounded a little better, or at least it sounded more like what I want sounds to come out like. Um, but I love the interface on that. So to me, if the Fender Tone Master Pro can be like the head rush, simple and easy to use, but maybe sound more like the line six, I think they'll be a, a good competitor in that market. Um, I, I don't have any reasoning for this other than gut instinct to go. I don't think it's going to be a contender against XFX. I just think XFX is on another level, you know. Um, you know, you could argue that Fender probably had a really amazing engineer. I'm, I'm pretty sure they hired an engineer, came in and designed that thing, right? He probably came from somewhere. That's what how this works. You can see all this over the years. All these amazing designers go from company to company and design stuff. And sometimes they design one product and a line of products, and then they leave. So whoever designed this for Fender probably is very good because he's working for one of the largest guitar companies in the world with a big budget, I'm sure. And so therefore they're not gonna make a crappy product in my opinion. And some of the features on it look really cool too. Um, however, you know, I just don't have a lot of faith that they can beat XFX first unit out. I just don't know if I'm a, I could believe that. Um, but how, what the hell do I know? <laughs> Uh, so there you go. Uh, so uh, obviously they didn't send me one. They're not going to send me anything. <laughs> I, as you guys know, um, I don't actually get that much stuff sent to me. Um, I've, I've explained this before. Like it's a lot of the stuff is the patrons. We use the patron funds. We buy the gear. Sometimes I get lucky. I have some good relationships with companies. I've said this best, uh, the best, uh, way I've ever said this. Um, I have burned a lot of bridges, but I have made some amazing, uh, you know, permanent bridges with some, some companies and people that are just fantastic. What I've learned is some people get, you know, the channel and some people don't. That's good. I like it that way. Um, if Tone Master is something cool, if it's interesting, you guys let me know and we'll, we'll get one on the channel. Like I said, I just, we just did the Squire video, you know, that was cool. That was a total 100% uh, patron requested video, that guitar. So any of that stuff we try to, you know, put on the channel. Somebody says they should do Fender socks. Fender did socks, HK. They probably still currently do. Watch this. Fender guitar stocks. Uh, remember, I was a Fender dealer for 13, 12 years. 12 years. And uh, we sold lunch pails. We sold... <laughs> you oh, yeah, absolutely. Ta-da! Fender socks. Look at that. At Guitar Center, even. Look at this. Here it comes. What? They're out of stock, though. But, hey, look at that. Oh, but you could get 35% off if you don't. Click that. Let's not buy a guitar right now. Look at this. Fender socks. Uh, so they have Fender socks. <laughs> I don't think Fender doesn't sell a single thing. I think they sell every single thing you can think of. So, yeah. <laughs> Fender does guitar strap. Fender does, I, like, literally. You know, um, do you guys remember the Fender baseballs? We sold a bazillion of those. I mean, a bazillion. That's not really a, a real number. Uh, we didn't sell a bazillion. Um, but they go for crazy money. At least they did uh, for years later. Fender Baseball. Uh, here you go. Check this out. Um, those who were used to go to my old store years and years ago, remember you, one day you just walked in and we had a display 
that was psychotically huge of these things. Here you go. Fender baseball. And it came with two free packs of strings. And we were selling for about this $11.99. You got this Fender baseball. And uh, we bought probably thousands and thousands of these and stacked them in pyramids in the middle of the store and just sold them like crazy. Um, because people just came in and like, oh, Fender baseball. <laughs> and we were like, I don't know what this. And for those of you who are about to say something like, oh, were they like sponsoring, you know, uh, <laughs> baseball? No, they're just. They just made a baseball and they put Fender on it and came with two string, two packs of strings. It was just a thing. So, you know, because Fender baseball. <laughs> um, one, one of our students, though, uh, his name was Eric. He did something funny. He took the baseball to the NAMM show. We, uh, he went to the NAMM show and he got everybody... Uh, every artist to sign it like and he got Eric Johnson to sign it and stuff and he took a lot of pictures his mom and him took a lot of pictures and we were laughing because some of the artists were like looking at this baseball like you want me to sign this baseball he's like sign my baseball and he signed it and then they're like oh Fender and they're like what so he has a baseball he probably has it to this day uh, where he has a, a baseball with a ton of artists guitar players signatures on it uh, <laughs> so there you, there you go with that I don't good times Good times. We got to go to the next question. All right, here we go. We uh, have uh, Happy Go Lucky says, Hey, Phil, are there any sites that track fender price increases over the years? Uh, increases over the years? How about increases over the weeks? Uh, it says, <laughs> to help understand if I'm getting a good deal on old inventory. Look, that's not how you would look at it that way. You wouldn't look at the old original pricing to see what the current pricing is. I understand what you're saying. You can use the Wayback Machine, and there are tons of websites that are dedicated to, sometimes you have to pay for it though, but you can get entire PDF uh, downloads of Fender catalogs, and some of the catalogs have pricing, some don't. Uh, so there is ways to get all the Fender pricing, but I, at the core of your question, what I would tell you is, is that I, I find right now, uh, the market has always been like this. It's so fluid and just constantly changing that you really got to look at real time what something's worth and whether what what it was paid for so if your argument or your thought process is like oh somebody's selling this fender and it's like eight hundred dollars what was it new 10 years ago it won't matter what it was new 10 years ago it only matters what somebody's going to pay for it now and and fender and all brands are like this we can i can go on for for hours about all the specific brands but fender of course is a paramount of this uh where all of Fender's failures become successes. You know, that's one of the best things about having a brand like Gibson, like Fender, is that they make a new cool product and they sell it and it does great. And then years later, it's worth money. And then they make a crappy product and everybody hates it. And then years later, it can actually be worth a lot of money. It's just a luck of the draw because they stopped making it. And it's just like, oh, crazy, right? Um, there's just lots of stuff like that. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, you, but you, like I said, you can use the Wayback Machine. There's tons of websites where you can resource it and stuff, but I wouldn't really focus on that. Uh, David, thank you for the super chat. Parker says, uh, Phil, what do you think of Harley Benton's ST182 roasted neck locking tuner stainless steel frets for under $400 versus Fender's $1,300 made in, uh, made in Mexico? What would you buy? I'd buy the Fender, but... That doesn't mean the Fender's better. Um, uh, I'm not on a budget crunch. 
So it's um, like I've said, and I, so I'm giving you my answer and I'm going to give you an answer that maybe you can digest and use for yourself. But just to be clear, um, I have been collecting this stuff over the years for so long that if I wanted a Fender for $1,300 right now, I could just pick something on the wall and go, that's going to go. And then that comes in and something like that. Right. There's always a guitar that's just it's just I fell out of love with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or something like that. There's always something uh, to that effect. Fender to me is a, is a, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like even during the pandemic when we were kind of criticizing the fit and finish of Fenders pretty hard, which was very, you know, justified. Um, even cr criticizing that there's no world where I would see myself buying a Harley Benton over a Fender product. Um, me personally, unless of course, the one factor came in that said, oh, well, I only have $400 or I only have $700 or, you know, $1,300 hurts, right? Because let's be honest, you know, I call it the, the rapture, right? Sometimes when you pay the price on some stuff, it's it's not whether or not you have the money. It's just how you feel about after you exchange your hard work, you know, uh, when my wife and I were just talking about this, we were when we were at the Grand Canyon, she saw something she wanted. It was $26. I said, are you going to get that? And she goes, no. And I go, I thought you wanted it. She goes, I just don't know if I like it, $26. And I said, oh, what you're really saying is you don't know if you're the, what it took you to make $26 is worth that thing. And she said, yeah. And I said, yeah, that I understand too. It's not always just about money. It's about what the money represents to you, right? How hard you work for it or how hard it was to come by or how hard it is or how easy it is for it to go away. So, um, I would probably pick the Fender if I was looking for a long-term guitar. Now, here's what's some reasons why I would pick the Harley Benton besides just the fact that it's cheaper. Maybe I don't uh, know much about that guitar. Um, you know, like a lot of players, and a perfect example of this, my first headless guitar um, and my second headless guitar were inexpensive, you know, affordable headless guitars. Because I didn't know if I liked headless guitars. And, I, you know, it's not something you just pick up in a store and play and go, yeah, it plays great. I'll play it. Will you play it? You know, what about five years from now, four months from now? And then over time, loving the headless guitar the way I did, then I, you know, I ended up with Strandberg and a Kiesel and going, yeah, now it's worth, now it's worth investment, right? Now it makes sense. Um, so uh, the same thing with, uh, with the Harley Benton. There's a reason why I would buy a guitar like that because maybe I'm like, like for instance, when I did Roasted Maple Necks, as you guys know, I bought tons of guitars at Roasted Maple Necks because I wanted to know everything about, about them I could learn from all the different manufacturers. And I started out with the cheap ones to see how that, you know, how it felt. Did I like it? Um, so same thing. Uh, the Harley Benton, I think, is a good value proposition, you know, for what you get for the dollars. That's the whole appeal. I mean, obviously, Roasted Neck, Locking Tuners, Stainless Steel Frets, it's under 400 bucks. That's a great deal. Could you play that guitar forever? You could play that guitar for absolutely ever. <laughs> absolutely forever. Um, but the Fender, not just because it's a brand name, just Fender, you know, it's more of a investment and lifetime. Investment, not just money, of your time, lifetime guitar. So um, he's got a follow-up to that. He goes, P.S., should Tom, I think he means uh, Blink-182, should they get cut ethics? Okay, I think that got jumbled, but I know exactly where you're going with this. Okay, Parker, um, you're talking about the uh, uh, Harley Benton did a copy of the 
uh, Blink-182 guitar that Fender released. It's pretty blatant. I saw it on Hunter's channel, Agafish. If you guys don't know Agafish, um, you know, he's a, he's a great guy. And uh, sometimes anything Harley Bitten I want to know about, I just go right to his channel because obviously he uh, he helps them design so those, some of those guitars. And he's very involved in the Harley Bitten process. So anything I'm curious about them, I'll go peruse his channel and find out what's going on. And uh, anyways, uh, uh, so I saw that, you know, the Tom DeLong. Um, copies. I've been very clear about how I feel about that stuff. Um, you know, it's, uh, as long as they're not trying to deceive someone, which is where I did a video where I took and branded a guitar fake. And a lot of people had a, uh, an interesting reaction to that video. And, um, I don't, I don't care what your reaction is. My opinion is, is, uh, is sometimes I can change my mind, but sometimes it's hard. And this is one of those, it's hard to change my mind. If you make a guitar that looks like exactly like another brand and you put that brand's name on it, I don't care what you're saying. It is, it is in my mind, the intent is to confuse and scam or cheat somebody. Even if that person is yourself, you don't have that guitar. You have a fake. Now that is to me is not a replica. Like here's my favorite way. And I've used this analogy a couple years ago, maybe, maybe about a hundred podcasts ago when it came to Van Halen guitars, you know, before EVH came out and just started making every pretty much not every, but tons of his guitars over the years that he'd done the stripe series, you know, fans made stripe series guitars for years and years and years and years. And I think that was okay. Even if they would put other brand names on them, I know that kind of goes against what I just said, but hear me out. Um, as long as there's some kind of disclosure, some kind of marking. So like I said, even if you put the brand name, like I said, I like the brand fake on it, something to let somebody know, but the idea is you're making a replica, right? Because there's nothing that exists of that, that you can get. But once it exists that you can get it, I don't think you need to make a, a, a full replica. I think more of an inspired by guitar and, and that's kind of, and I know, like I said, I hope that kind of makes sense. I know sometimes when I'm explaining, sometimes it gets crisscrossed, but it's, um, that's what I mean. It means that basically, um, so like with this uh, Harley Benton guitar, I don't think there's any confusion that anyone would grab the Harley Benton guitar that says Harley Benton clearly on the headstock with its own shaped headstock and go, oh, is this a Fender Tom DeLonge guitar? Like, no. So then, yeah, let him make it. Who cares? So that's how I feel about that. Some brands, of course, have stronger opinions about that. Um, but, um, uh, you know, that's, th that's okay. That's their opinion too. But my opinion is, um, in fact, I got a great question, uh, this week. And, uh, the question was, I said in my, uh, which they misunderstood, but that's okay. But the still, cause the question was great. Uh, I said in my new, new Squire video that uh, companies don't own colors. They don't own the, the colors. They own the name of the colors. Um, and somebody said, you know, somebody was confused because they're like, companies can't own colors. Well, you can own a color, but I mean, if you didn't create the color, that's what I meant. Most companies don't create the actual color, the paint, the actual color. They go to a paint supply house, they pick a color. So obviously that color exists. They don't own the color, but they name the color and they trademark the name. And here's what's important about this. Um, and uh, somebody said, well, if you can't own a color, which you can if you create the color, but we're, we're talking about a company using somebody's color and not being able to own it until they name it something. Uh, they said, how did DiMarzio uh, trademark D 
double cream bobbin pickups. And you know, how do they own cream? How do they own the color cream? And they don't. This is the interesting thing. Here's the answer to this. So this is a confusing thing for a lot of people with the whole, and for those of you that's not maybe understand what's going on, let me fill you in. DiMarzio Pickups owns the trademark and has since the 70s on double cream humbucker pickups. Some of you guys seen that recently, even Gibson's calling these double creams off-white <laughs> pickups, right? Okay, uh, so here's why you can trademark or how they were able, uh, DeMarzio was able to trademark that pickup. Um, trademark is, first, I like to point out, it's important, really important, I'm not an attorney. I'm definitely not a trademark attorney. But I own a few trademarks, and I've made a lot of money over the years on my trademarks. So it doesn't mean me make expert, not even close, but it just gives you some understanding. I know enough to turn trademarks into money. So how about that? So a trademark. You can't trademark the, the word American, right? And you can't trademark airline. Like, But if you put American Airlines together and you say this is a is a... Uh, a, a company of airplanes, right? That tra right. It now has what's called a secondary meaning. In other words, it's American Airlines, and now no one is confused that it's just America or it's just an American or just an airline. It's American Airlines, right? So it has a secondary meaning, okay? And just because you have a secondary meaning doesn't mean you get a trademark. There's actually some steps to getting a trademark besides just claiming the trademark. Uh, you have to have commerce and all this other stuff. We're not going to go into that. But this is to explain why there's a trademark on a double cream humbucker. You can't own cream, right? You can't say, okay, every cream pickup that exists, I own that. That's why there's cream P90s. That's why there's cream single coils. You can't own that. What DiMarzio did is they took the color cream and they put it on a, a pickup, a humbucker. Now you can't own uh, the look of a humbucker. You can't say, oh, I, I own the, the two black you know circle bobbins. You can't do that either. But you could say, I owe, t I owe these two bobbins and I made them cream and no one's done that and I'm doing that and I'm trademarking it. And it got a secondary meaning and they got a trademark. Um, some opinions will be uh, interesting about that. Some people hate that they have that. Some people like that they have that. I'm indifferent to that even, you know, admittedly being a friend of Larry, uh, my indifference is good for him and I don't really care. <laughs> That's how I look at it. Uh, you know, the reality is everybody constantly does it against, you know, uses it anytime and he's always like fighting it. Uh, so the, um, <laughs> so so that's the that's the takeaway on that. So that's how you got a, that's how you get a, a trademark on double cream humbuckers because now it's a secondary meaning. So um, I hope that kind of explains everything we just kind of <laughs> ran down. So back and that ties into the whole Harley Benton thing and the whole you know confusion of the market, right? I, as long as I say as long as I don't think somebody's taking advantage of the customers, I've said this very clearly before. I think trademarks are sh should be and are for to to and are for they should be and they should they should be for protecting consumers more so than companies um that's how i look at that so all right uh chromosome gun chromosome i'm gonna say chromosome chromosome gun says phil thanks for the supersonic 22 recommendation two weeks ago wife allowed and it is versatile it is it's amazing amp. uh what are you listening to these days i love vi's seventh song album uh what am i listening to what is on phil's i don't have spotify um i have uh youtube music uh, if you guys don't know, uh, I have YouTube family. I highly recommend it to everybody. If you have a few people in your home, 
home, obviously. Or here, okay, so as of the date of today, because the whole world changes like every day now because Netflix and Disney, all those mess. But as of today, it's still this way. Um, YouTube, it's like, I think it's $30 a month, just so you guys know. You could pay $30 a month for YouTube and you get six accounts. So you can sign up six friends or family. So Ralph's on my account because it's not, it doesn't matter. It's just six people. Um, and it doesn't matter the IP address and all that crap. They can be in different states and different worlds. I don't care. They don't care. As of today, YouTube doesn't care. Um, so like my daughter, my son, my wife, me and Ralph. And um, uh, so they're on this account. And so for $30 a month, you get six people and they get no commercials on any of their YouTube content. Um, and on any of their, uh, you know, whether their phone. So for those guys, like I got pop-up blocker. Well, it's on their phone, the tablet, where's all the stuff. But more importantly, um, not only can you do that, more impo- the thing I care about is you can download all the content you want uh, into a phone. So when I travel, I usually go with like three, four hours of YouTube videos. So if I want to, if I'm on the plane, if I'm stuck somewhere, I just pull out my phone and I can start watching tons of content. But the other thing is you get to... Uh, get YouTube music. And that helped with me because my daughter wanted Spotify. And of course, you know, Spotify is evil, just like they're all evil. But uh, uh, this does what Spotify does. So it's uh, uh, basically unlimited music. So I pulled it up just now to tell you what I'm listening to. I'm listening to the new Disturbed album, Immortalized. It's not the new one, but it's just newer to me. Um, I'm listening to uh, Alterbridge, One Day Remains. I'm listening to relaxing piano music. I'm not making that up, by the way. Uh, Yep. (laughs) And I'm also listening to um, (laughs) instrumental pop covers. So it's, it's, um, it's pop music, but it's in piano and guitar only. Uh, I, I like it relaxing in the background. And I'm listening to, uh, oh, oh my goodness, I'm going to get in trouble for this one. Shout out pop hits, <laughs> uh, which is like Dulipa, Dulipa, and all, any hit artist right now, it's on there. It's on a rotation. Why? Because when I'm in the truck and uh, family's in the car, like my wife and my daughter, friends, whatever, I just put on pop music. Uh, cause it's just, it's, you know, <laughs> my, my, my daughter told me my music there that roars a lot. <laughs> She's like, the singers go roar. <laughs> That's what she said. Remember my daughter's like 18. <laughs> so it's like, it's not like a, I'm like a little girl's like, you're She's like, your music goes raw a lot. I'm like, yeah. So I put on just hits, pop, current pop hits. And then it also, uh, I like it because it, it keeps me like, oh, is this what people are listening to on the pop music platforms? Uh, I listen to that. And then, of course, obviously, I was listening to Disturbed and Alter Bridge. And then uh, piano music, uh, tons of calm piano music uh, just to uh, calm down. Sometimes, uh, you know, just chill. You need to calm down. <laughs> so there you go. Um, Rick says, are you releasing an album with Badlands guitars featured? Uh, and are you releasing a bass version? So, um, so if you're the patrons know this, uh, cause I gave them, uh, some samples of the tracks. I do have an album. Um, this is not an album. Um, well, let's start here. When I say an album, I'm putting together a group of songs that I can copyright and then use that music, which I've kind of been using riffs of it, of these songs I, I wrote in the videos when I demo guitars because copyright strikes are getting annoying. And the hope is 
is that um, if I copyright, I, I can fight when they tell me I I don't have a re, I don't have the right to use it, <laughs> right? Because it gets annoying, right? Um, and through the Murphy's law of it, sometimes your videos get really huge, and you're like, wow, I'm actually gonna make money on this video, and it's like, boom, copyright strike. You're playing this song, and it's not—it's never the song that you're playing. You're like, that's not even the song. Um, so that's what I did. That um, the—I um, have a good friend. His name's Joe. He owns Rat Pack Records. They're an amazing record label. Check out his website. I mean, the list of amazing artists and stuff. And he's like, hey, we should—we can print it. We can print your album. Put it on a record. Do do what you want. I'm like, oh, okay. So I don't know if I'll do that. I mean, uh, so I have the resource. I have him to help me do that. If we do that. Um, but that's not the intent. Um, but to answer your question, what, uh, I can tell you exactly what guitars on 99% of the track so far. It's my Kiesel Delos, uh, and then my SG. <laughs> so, uh, those two guitars, um, for one particular reason and one particular reason only, I'm really comfortable when I'm playing them. Obviously I'm very comfortable when I'm playing my Mira as well, but for some reason, the Delos and the SG record well. The, the tones sound great. I was getting good tones out of them. And, you know, that's kind of like the, 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 the thing I need. I need the good tones and I need the thing, um, uh, you know, the playability. So that's the answer that I, for those who would be interested in that. But that's why I'm doing that. Um, what I will tell you, though, is whether I release it uh, publicly, you know, in some form, um, that if I decide to do that, as what I'm basically saying, so you guys know, if I decide to do that, um, obviously one of the things is I got some, I got some YouTube power. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I do have some cool friends that um, if I asked to do uh, guest solo tracks, um, I would do, I'd have a guest solo tracks on each one, right? Uh, and not, not just YouTubers, like artists too. I mean, I, it's like, you know, uh, so that's, that's one reason why I might do it because that would be kind of fun. And also if I sold it, um, I would pay them, you know what I mean? And that would be kind of cool. Like, Hey, would you, you know, jump on my album, do a track and obviously, you know, put, pay them a royalty. I mean, give me, don't get me wrong. It's the new world now. They'd be like, here's your check for 67 cents and a high five. But Hey, <laughs> it's something right. Um, but same, same thing. That would be cool. Um, Uh, Brian says, uh, are we calling it white to get around cream? Oh, you're talking about the album or the thing? Uh, but it's cream. Um, I can tell you this so far, all the songs are, um, movie quotes. <laughs> uh, one of the song, one of my favorite songs that I've worked on is called you're going the wrong way. And, um, it's from planes, trains, and automobiles when they scream, Hey, you're going the wrong way. And they go, what did they say? They said you're going the wrong way. How, how do they know where we're going? <laughs> so all the songs, I decided to name them uh, from movies I love. So, uh, so, and to answer already a question I can hear from any dude over the age of 40, yes, there is a song called And I Got That Going For Me. But I did not put, which is nice. I just put, and I got that going for me. All right, so whether that happens or not, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> Tom O'Hawk, Tom O'Hawk. Uh, he says, a Tomahawk says, Hey, Phil, wondering if you ever looked at a Reverend basses, uh, tried, tried the five string the other day and I loved it. I don't know if I, I must've picked up a, a Reverend here and there, like at their booth, you know, and check, check out things. Um, I would definitely be interested in checking out a Reverend bass for the channel. 
um, for sure, without a doubt. I, I really like Reverend stuff. The thing about Reverend is funny is is um, I know I don't really score, you know, products. Um, that's something I I had. If you go through all my catalog videos, one or two videos I score. I was doing that. I was like adding numbers and stuff. That's one of those things like you try to work out in your head. Like, do I want to do like this? The guitar is a six. This guitar is a ten, and I just. I couldn't figure out a way that it made it feel the way I wanted it to feel. Um, but that being said, if I was to say what guitars perform probably best on the deep dives than any guitar, Reverend was one of the guitars that stick out in my mind is one of the best. Like I was the most impressed with the guitar when I factor in everything, like the cost, the you know where it was made, um, you know what you got, how well it was finished. It was fantastic. Um, and again, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> just that that guitar did so well. It just sticks out in my mind as one of the guitars that was just killing it. Um, but again, I always say like, you know, one sample doesn't mean anything. So, but uh, the other reverends I've played have been fantastic. So. Um, uh, Senor Hardcore says, thanks for highlighting the Pedal Pal 800. Gold Overdrive on your channel. Recently bought the new V4 and I love it. Love the Pedal Pal pedals. Love the Pedal Pal guys. Um, I believe uh, Luis and Alvaro um, uh, uh, sent me a message about the new pedal and maybe getting it on the channel. Um, but they messaged me, I think, through Instagram. And so if you message me through Instagram, I'll see it. And then two days later, I forgot that existed because it's not, it's not something I look at daily or, or even enough frequency. So maybe I should reach out to them about that pedal. I've, I've heard the new one's really good and I really like their pedals. I, like I said, I think they make the base a uh, JCM uh, 800 in a box. If you want the actual non-modded, just raw 800 sound in a pedal, they do it. They just got it nailed. Uh, NYC says, love the sound of my Les Paul classic, but hate the weight, do you think an SG Explorer PRS will scratch the same uh, gain tonal itch? No, not not even close. Uh, I think if you get, I think if you can find Eastman or Maybach or Heritage, I think if you find the Gibson style guitars that can make a, because it's, again, Gibson, it's not magic. It's just, Gibson has a bunch of, it's like, like I said, think about like a recipe for food. Gibson has a certain amount of, of items in their recipe and those recipes, that recipe tastes a certain way and or sounds a certain way and plays a certain way. Um, PRS is too different. Even when you think of the five, you know, the PRS, uh, you know, Les Paul style guitars, uh, the five, nine, four, when you think of, um, you know, other guitars, I think that you're going to get a guitar that's not like what you want. And I have even worse news for you. I love light Les Pauls, as you know, and I have lighter Les Pauls and heavier Les Pauls, and sometimes even the lighter Gibson Les Pauls don't sound the same. I don't really think it's because they're lighter. I just think there's just things going on that's different. I would say if you're really, really trying to get the guitar to get lighter, I would say first, if you love the guitar, please consider maybe a better strap, you know, some neoprene strap that's really wide, uh, something like that really great. Also, maybe then look at copycat style Gibson guitars that use the same recipe, you know, the same kind of pickups, the same kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know scale length, the same, you know, body shapes, all that stuff, you know, and just kind of get there and, and um, 
I can tell you right now, I really like my heritage. So that's one thing I would look at if you can find a lighter heritage. Michael Nielsen, what's up, Michael Nielsen? He says, uh, I love Dumble Clean. Yeah, uh, yeah, hell yeah. Uh, not dirt. Any amps that do Freemanish dirty, but amazing Dumble Clean? No. So interesting enough, um, it's one of those things, you know, how, like the rock stars, you know, obviously the big stars are always like, I got this Dumble, and you're like, nobody knows. It's the most amazing thing ever. I've played, I have a video coming out uh, of a Dumble clone amp and uh, the irony of this is although i've done some other dumbbell clone videos that did really well and i really like them this particular dumbbell clone is a little different for me because i actually have played the real version of this dumbbell clone i played the real dumbbell that this is cloned after and uh now i didn't compare them because i didn't have them you know i remember once from like two years ago that i played and then this one's now but the thing that the Dumble did that I was like, ooh, <laughs> this does that as well. So, uh, Michael, I think the, the key to the Dumble thing, and again, everybody has a different perspective because there's so many different Dumbles, and of course, they were always different. different. To me, the Dumble thing is that there's two, and again, just, just a, an idea on this. There's two things that people are going after, guitar players are going after when they go Dumble. They're going over, first of all, the real thing that 90% of us don't need, which is big clean. So, for instance, you know, you forget that a Fender Twin is very loud. But, you know, John Mayer wants a 100-watt clean amp because he's on a giant stadium. And he wants a clean amp that is super, super crazy loud and it never breaks up or has a very little breakup. So he wants that super clean. So he's going to get the still string singer and he's going to have it super, super clean. It's just be huge sounding. It's going to sound like a bunch of twin reverbs stacked up, you know, like a wall of twin reverbs, right? Versus a wall of Marshalls. Um, so that, of course, there's players that are just going for the big clean when it comes to Dumble. But I don't think that's what most players are going after. Most players are going to go after that huge sustain thing. Um, Dumbles do this crazy thing where they, like when you hit clean, when you play clean, the first time you play any kind of Dumble or high-end Dumble clone, and I say high-end, not expensive, okay? Because remember, there's all kinds of Dumble clones and some are expensive and some are not as expensive. But as long as they're using the same kind of recipe, they're going to get pretty damn close to the, the idea of it, which is the thing I love about distortion and overdrive is, is sustain. You hit a note and you just like ring it out with your finger and like, and it's just like happening. You're like, yes. But there's just something cool about dumbbells when you, you play the, a dumbbell and you hit a note on clean and it just goes, Wah, and it's out there and the same, it's doing the same thing, but it's clean. So I don't know if, Michael, that's what you're after. Um, but to answer your question, no. What's funny is this um, out of all the Amplified Nation amps that I've tried that have all been fantastic, the Amplifonics and Gain, to me, is exactly that amazing Friedman, not actually Friedman tone, but that, that Marshall, you know, Plexi, Saldano, hot rotted, crazy gain sound. And the clean is really damn good. Like it's really good. But that clean is not the same as like the Still String Singer or the other kind of Dumble S clones. It's not the same. It doesn't have the exact same magic. It's like so close. So it's the closest thing I've seen to having that perfect world of what you're talking about um but uh you know it's funny michael is you're a studio guy which cracks me up on this because here's what i gotta i gotta talk to you as like a friend for a minute <laughs> you're a studio guy if 
which means you already have that. You have all those tones because you have all those amps in the studio. To me, like right now, I'm looking at my two amps today that I'm using now. So this week I've been playing, I told you I go through different amps. This week I've been playing two amps at the same time. I'm playing my Imperial Tone Master uh, head into a 112 cabinet uh, with a cream back. And I'm playing my uh, Deluxe Reverb into another 112 cream back. And then I'm running AB switch and a bunch of pedals. And I've been running that rig for the last week or two. And it's been amazing. I love it. Two amps. Now, if I was going to gig, I would, there's no way I can't take that stuff. <laughs> right. But it, here, you know, this is what I use. So I guess like when I think of an amp that does those perfect sounds and every sound you need, uh, that's a gigging problem. Like I don't need that. I don't need an amp that does every sound here at the house or at the studio. Um, I have all the amps. I just go grab them and use the amps I want, or I have two rigs set up and go. So that's what I would say. Like I don't, I wouldn't try to get that perfect amp. I would do what you do now, which is pl play two different cool amps, <laughs> and then be be happy. I think you just want to buy another amp. <laughs> and I think that's the, I think that's how how a lot of us who find great amps and have and are totally happy with the sound of their amazing amps i think that's how we next step our heads into the next amp we're like you know i i love my fender it's perfect i love my marshall it's perfect if i could just get them both in one amp let me buy 12 more amps that won't be as good as those two amps in, individually but if i could just <laughs> you're always some compromise so i don't know uh uh, Maddie Two Hat says Fender Supersonic would get close. No, it no, not in the clean. Look, the Supersonic is fantastic. Like I said, it punches way above its weight. I, I have the Supersonic. I love it. I'm staring at it right now. <laughs> it's a fantastic amp. Um, but if you haven't played any of the, uh, I don't want to say if you haven't played a Dumble, it's not the Dumble. It's anyone who's trying to go after what the Dumbles are doing, which is this not just big and not like bassy so you don't confuse bassy it's not big bassy sound it's just a full dynamic sound and it has a lot of sustain you know the i i i think Rhett shaw when he did his uh dumble video um said it best and i think i, I used a little bit of what i saw him talking about in my video which went over well too which is the compressor right you use a compressor a Dumble sounds like, to me, like a great sounding clean amp that has a compressor on it, but it doesn't have that weird compressor feeling or, you know, because compression has this great sustain, but it also has this like weird, like it's choking you, right? It's, it's weird. Infinite sustain and choking you out at the same time. And the a, a Dumble style amp, style amp, just like when I say a Marshall, like Friedman's a Marshall style amp. See, there's just, I like the word style. Right, Dumble does have a style. Fender has a style. Vox has a style. Marshall has a style. Dumble to me, style is huge sustain at no matter how much gain is being involved. And uh, the the notes I use the word plume. The notes just plume, right? Which is something a compressor can do, a sustainer can do. Which is what I mean by that is usually if you watch like on a on a graph, if you were to hit a string with a pick, you hit hit the string and the, the volume goes up and then it comes down. When I, when I say something plumes, it's like you hit it and it goes and then it just keeps going up. Like it's like, it actually goes, ooh, that's my little singing there, you know, and you're like, oh, and that feels great. Um, nowhere where I would say the audience would care about that. But when you're in the room and it's happening to you, it's a really like amazing feeling 
when you're getting that sound without like a delay pedal and a compressor and a bunch of stuff. You can get it with all these effects, but to have an amp just do it on its own is pretty cool. And there's a ton of amps, I think, that do that, by the way. They just all happen to be, like I said, kind of expensive. <laughs> so there you go. Thunder Falcon says, would Badlands do an artist signature model? Uh, I would believe so. So um, uh, yes, the answer would be yes. It's a great idea. It's a great idea to market your company. Um, you got to understand signature guitars have different meanings now than what they meant, uh, what they used to mean back in the day. Um, the signature guitar concept is... I have learned a lot recently about signature guitars, and I can't tell you why, but I will tell you why soon. Um, I've learned a lot about signature guitars and the ethos that surrounds that concept, and let me explain what I, uh, in, in a way that I was really interestingly shocked to learn. I used to think, which is accurate to some degree, that a signature guitar was like, Eddie Van Halen's amazing, and we should give him a signature guitar. <laughs> and Steve Vai's amazing, we should give him a signature guitar. And Eric Clapton's amazing, we should give him a signature guitar. And I think that is very warranted and very good. And then, of course, you know, once all the guitar gods and goddesses got their guitars, even though Jennifer Batten never got hers, really, um, you know, we then go on to, uh, you know, the next line of level of celebrity, right? And they get guitars. And then this eventually goes to like this point where like I've made this uh, comment before. Sometimes they'll announce a new artist for a signature brand or guitar for a signature. I don't even know the artist. So then I Google the artist to find out what band they're in. I don't know the band. So then I have to Google where the band's from. And then I find out like they're, you know, um, they're literally like, um, <laughs> they're in a band because that band's guitar player plays in another band, right? Like it was like, it's like really, really interesting. But here's what I have since learned in the recent times. And this is why, because times are changing. They are changing. Um, think of it like a signature guitar can be an introduction to someone who's in a community to another community, right? So for instance, if I shout out, you know, um, Aggie Fish, you know, right? If I shout out another channel, you might go and check out that channel. Reason why is you're like, okay, I kind of like where this guy's coming from on this Know Your Gear thing. And maybe this other channel is like-minded. Maybe it's not. Whatever it is, there's some kind of introduction. And I liken this to the same thing as being at a party. And there's one thing when you go to a party and you walk in and everybody's like, hey, and you're like, hey. But there's one thing, it's like, everybody's like, hey, it's Phil. And I'm like, hey, and my friend Bobby. And you're like, oh, Bobby. And immediately everyone is like, Bobby is with Phil and Phil is with us. And so therefore, Transitive Properties, Bobby's with us. And I think signature guitars are slowly turning into that concept, with signature product, which is, okay, you like this artist for whatever reason, this person they are now lending their brand, their co-branding with another brand. And they're saying, hey, we, I like this product. And then therefore your, your communities cross and there's the benefit there. So, uh, and it's a way to do this in a very functional way because let me tell you what's not working anymore. The big artists are cost, they cost a fortune. The days of like, you know, hey, we'll give you a five free guitars and you can tour with them. Those days are gone. Now it's like they want an advance. The advance is heavy. Um, I think I've told you I've helped negotiate some deals for some companies with artists. And it was hard, man. It's something I don't think I'd ever want to do many times over again. Um, I thought it was going to be easy. Like, well, we'll build them exactly what they want and they'll be happy. And they're like, no, where's my big fat check first? And you're like, big fat check first. <laughs> you're like, I didn't even know. You're like, that's a thing. Advances are a thing. And 
um, they want like the first year's sales, first two year sales advanced to them in some cases. And that's a projection. And a lot of times they don't hit it. So that's why you see so many artists jump ship on stuff because they got a big advance. They didn't sell that product in the last next few years. It's not like they're trying to jump ship and run away and not, you know, because they don't have to pay it back. There's no payback, but they probably want to go to another brand and get another advance and do that thing. So back to the Badlands thing. Sure. Why wouldn't you do a signature artist with an art uh, with somebody? Because they could, again, expand your community. That makes total sense. So I think that makes total sense. So there you go. So the answer is yes. Who would it be? I have no idea. Um, I would know this. I would be involved in the decision because, like I said, it's a, I call it the brain trust, right? It's a, it's a community of people that own Badlands, and we come together, and we have these long Zoom calls where we talk, and we go, <laughs> these are all the things we're thinking about doing. So if somebody brought it to the table, I haven't, I haven't presented anything to the table. So, you know, I haven't said, like, hey, let's get this artist or let's get this person. Um, it's not something I've been hyper-focused on. Uh, we have another project coming soon, Badlands. As you know, right now, we're in the, hey, let's get everybody their hollow flash guitars. So that's our focus right now. Everybody gets their hollow flash guitars. And then after that, we have the next thing and the next thing and next thing. And that's what we work worry, uh, work on. So they're really cool. Um, great question. I enjoyed that question. So, you know, I like those. Uh, Litve says, commissioning a Les Paul size spruce archtop F-hole acoustic with a neck P90 uh, from the guy who built my amazing Mandola 10 years ago. Any advice? Um, no, what's great is you've already had experience with this person doing a custom build for you. I think as someone who's had a ton of custom builds and have been disappointed by most of them, what I've really learned is that... Um, I used to tell everybody like, there's a reason why like Eric Johnson's signature guitar had like four prototypes, right? There's a reason why there's multiple prototypes of guitars, right? Um, it's again, now d have done some things, right? As you guys know, I'm very interested in doing things so then I can share them on this channel because I'm not a smart person, but I can share what happened. I can tell a story. I can spin a tale, so to speak. So I, although I'm not smart enough to like tell you how to do something, I'm... I don't know. Well, I'm not smart enough, but I can tell you what happened if I was there. So that's why I like to try to do things. Um, like I said, I've been working on both sides of signature guitars for the last couple of years. Um, he was helping a company negotiate artists in or working on doing like a signature guitar. And things I've learned is, is exactly that. There's a reason why whenever, you know how everybody goes, says, says the same thing. They go like, it took two years to make this guitar. And you're like, two years? And it's not really that it takes two years. It's just they give you a guitar and you need some time to figure out like, oh, I, this sucks. <laughs> or this hurts or this is weird. Or why is this doing this? Oh, I thought this was such a good idea. Let's take this out. Um, and um, so when you're building a custom guitar uh, for yourself or having one built for you, it's really tough because you're dreaming of stuff. One thing I will tell you uh, that I will that I learned ordering a custom guitar, having custom guitars made for me, um, or even working on a custom guitar is, uh, keep it simple, stupid, right? The kiss method. Um, I think that's where I think a lot of artists and I think a lot of us who, we, if we're not getting a, like a signature thing, we're just getting a custom guitar build. I think everybody wants to make, it wants to be all things and do all things and have all things because it's custom. And I've kind of realized like, no, keep it to just what you love and make it exactly what you love. Don't overthink it. I don't know if that's going to help you with this. <laughs> you wanted advice. That's my advice. Um, your guitar sounds amazing. sounds like everything you want. Don't get crazy is what I'm trying to say, right? Don't, don't, 
to keep it to uh like i said keep it simple and i think you'll be you'll be all right um karma okay karma says phil what is the price what is it what is a price good range okay what is a price range good price range to expect when approaching some smaller youtubers Ten thousand. Oh, okay i see where we're going with this <laughs> i gotta tell you the all the industry secrets no, i'm just kidding okay so what, what they're asking me is if a channel has ten ten thousand to twenty thousand subscribers to make a video about a new product i don't even know what amount to start with a conversation um so i'll try to keep this brief because like i said i never can gauge if you guys actually care about any of the youtube stuff um even if it's guitar stuff related but sometimes i guess you guys like the kiss and tell moments so um this is something i've done obviously i've negotiated many times uh for i've worked for some companies over the years helping them do exactly what you just asked me to do so uh here's what i will tell you first start with your dream team okay so if you have a product and you want to get it on the social medias first write down your dream team don't write down rick beato because he's got three million subscribers and marty schwartz because he's got three million subscribers like don't write that down that's just dumb write down um the dream team like who is someone you admire you're interested in you feel like they you feel like you like what they like they like what you like write down people who you think might actually like your product value your product and want to help your product okay um that is the most important thing um I, I have two attitudes about this personally as a business, right? Some people reach out to me with products that I, if they had any, if they had done any research, any, like five seconds, they would know I have never done that type of product. And I don't know anything about those products. I'm not talking about like the, the, <laughs> you know, face creams and wallets and stuff. I'm talking about like even guitar related products. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. I don't know what the hell that is. Right. And I wouldn't know how to do it. Um, so you're going to get, if you were to come to me with a product that's out of my wheelhouse, like we're not talking about guitars now, we're not talking about pedals, we're talking about something else. Um, first, you're taking the chance that I might not even respond. Nobody will respond here because it gets filed in folders. And then if you're lucky, we just have gotten through all the emails. So we're just going to email you back. But um, the second thing that might happen is, uh, is we might slightly be interested if you're willing to pay an insane price because you're like, well, I can learn about it and maybe it'll be interesting to somebody if you give me a gazillion dollars, maybe, <laughs> right? I don't know. We don't really do that one a lot, but it's 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 very, you know, it's possible. Um, but, but here's what's important. So you find someone that will champion your brand that you think will be great. Write down a bunch of people, at least get a 10 of them. You're going to need at least 10 channels. And then approach them honestly, you don't have to know what their rates are. You don't have to know what their their thing is. Um, what I can tell you is that it's not that simple. Okay, I can't tell you any channel's business because if I know it, I know it because of inconfidence. But what I can tell you about YouTube channels, and as you guys seen, I know a lot of them. Um, a big percentage don't charge anything to do videos. Uh, that's not the that's not what they're interested in. They're not interested in getting paid to make a video. They're interested in making content. My driver is content. And my Patreon and member services, because that's, that to me is like, who do I want to be who, like too many, you know, you have too many masters, right? Who do I want the master to be? I'd like the audience to be the master. I'd like to be beholden to them, not the companies. That's kind of where I like to al al align my allegiance. 
has nothing to do with anything other than that's just my personality. I was watching YouTube, now I'm making YouTube, and so I kind of still see myself as someone who's just watching YouTube. The last part, and like I said, if I took too long, I apologize, is uh, how do you start a conversation with them? That's exactly that. You reach out and don't just say something like, I really like your channel <laughs> and you're amazing or whatever, or hey, um, or just say, look, I have this product. I'm, I'm, uh, what, what are your requirements to work with you and how can we work together? That's a very short sentence. Stay short. If you write a whole paragraph, please don't say I invented a product. It's the greatest thing ever since sliced bread. Check it out on these four. They're not going to research it. They're not going to do that. Um, uh, and that's, and then I don't know what it is you're selling or what you're trying to do, unfortunately. Um, but I can tell you when I work for companies and they pay me to do this, um, I know who and what channels are good for what and what they're going to require. So that's kind of nice. So at some point you might have to hire somebody, unfortunately, that will know that and can map out your uh, stuff because what you can end up in is, 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 is like the death spiral of just never getting anywhere with these channels. What I can tell you right now is you're, you're saying perfect example, 10 to 20,000 subscribers. Um, you know, Oh, unfreaking blue says don't copy paste. Yeah. Don't copy paste. Uh, <laughs> that's great advice too. Um, but like I said, and, and in today's world, I'm sorry to say this to like some of the people that don't really understand it. Um, channels that are a hundred thousand subs, I, I would bet 90% of them don't even respond to companies anymore. They're too busy working on the stuff that they're doing, you know? Um, so channels like used to think back in the day, 10,000 subs, 30,000 subs, you know, you're like, Oh, you're just starting, right? Those channels are established now and they actually get paid. You know, there's, there's money and gear being flowing to, to channels to do content. If that's their business model, if that's how it works. So yeah, you're going to probably have to do something like that, but you never know. Like I said, um, I, I, uh, perfect example with me. I do, as you know, I do content sometimes just if they donate to mo money to charity. We did one where if they upfront donate to money, charity, I do it. And then now sometimes we do it where afterwards we just want them to give a percentage. You know, here's a good example. Dylan talks tone, Dylan talks tone. I asked him the request was 10% of whatever he sold in pickups to be donated to charity. That was the request. So, um, because he's a YouTube channel, he's not Seymour Duncan. Seymour Duncan's like a $200 million company, <laughs> right? You know, I would never tell Seymour Duncan like, well, just give 10% of whatever I sell and pick up to charity. I mean, that'd be great if I thought they'd do it, but they're not going to do that. Um, but you know, I would never do a video for them for free because they're a big, you know, they're a hundred million dollar company. I don't need to help them out. Um, unless of course somebody was like, can you check out a Seymour Duncan pickup for a video? You guys be doing that. Um, so like I said, I, I think an honest conversation, tell them what you need, what you want very quickly, very, uh, and let them know you want to work with them and what do they need to do to make that happen? Maybe, and you'll get lucky. So, so one of my favorite YouTubers that has been on my channel and I've been on their channel and, um, well, and that doesn't really tell you a lot cause that's been a few channels. Um, but this one is like probably the reason I play guitar better than I've played in years. Um, they really don't do money at all. You got to just kind of get them excited. <laughs> so, I mean, so like I said, that's a tough one because, um, you know, there is no number when it comes to him. There's no number you can offer him because I've seen the crazy numbers been offered and he turns them all down. If he's not interested in doing the video, he doesn't do it. doesn't matter how much money you have. Uh, so, uh, do, do Mac, do Mac. 
says, Phil, recently realized I love the sound of hot rails, single coil sized humbuckers. Any suggestions for a good guitar equipped with them? Um, well, yeah, the Dave Murray, uh, he's got, is that, he's got three hot rails in there? Um, didn't Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins have a Strat with three hot rails in them? There's tons of guitars that have hot rails in them. I like hot rails as well, too. You know, I, I said this before. I used to not play hot rails for many, many years, and I would use, like, the little 59 from Steam Duncan, the little JB and all those. And they're great pickups, too. But I just didn't like the look of hot rails. To me, it was, like, too, you know, dated looking, and it was, like, oh, metal. And, I, I, you know, obviously in those guitars, I didn't want metal. But what I realized, like you, is hot, hot rail-style pickups really are, like, just throaty p90 sound pickups that i love they just sound they just got that same tonality i love uh declan says hey phil thoughts on the positive grill building the frfr cab for the spark selling for 269 i think it's a smart move um i think sparks sparks great you know i like spark i've said this before i like spark i we've talked about me maybe doing a video not when i say we i mean you guys and me talked about uh like uh doing the spark mini or any of those and, and buying one, checking one out. I keep thinking about doing it. Um, you know, I say when the first spark came out, I did a video and uh, I liked it. Obviously I had a good, a lot of good things to say, um, about it. Um, but I haven't done anything since, um, the FRFR cabinet sounds like a good idea, right? Make it expandable. I saw what you probably saw. I saw the ad for it and it looked really cool. So I don't know. Okay. All right. Um, hold on, I'm just looking for... Uh, Curtis C. says, Hey, Phil, did you get a chance to ask Sweetwater about the choice of selling on Reverb at Gear Nuts instead of Sweetwater? I did not. I haven't had an opportunity to talk to them. They're, I don't really talk to them on the regular because uh, I've said this before. It Sometimes it probably appears like I'm doing a lot of sponsored content with them. It's because I sometimes get backlogged on stuff and then... I release like the three videos. Uh, I usually do about, I think it was four or five videos a year, which is a lot, but I mean, it's four or five videos for the year out of like 50, right? So, uh, and, uh, but they tend to all be like, bam, 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 bam. And then I, and then I don't do it for months. So I haven't had a real reason to talk to them. Uh, I haven't talked to them basically. How about that? So if I get a chance, I will, I will do that. Um, Okay, hold on. I'm looking for question marks first. By the way, I like how you make your question mark huge. That was cool. Um, uh, Lee Asbury says, what do I think of the solid mahogany PRS CE24? I'm a big fan of CE24. Um, it's one of my favorite guitars. Um, and <laughs> I can't say. <laughs> it's one of those like, I'm not saying there's a new C24 coming out. I'm not saying that. Anyways, I like the C24. Uh, I have a C24. I have the semi-hollow one for no reason other than it was just the right weight, and I love the color, and it was that Wildwood Guitars, and it was just what I bought. I love it. Love that guitar a lot. I am biased, so you know, um, uh, bias of, of that guitar because, um, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, but uh, Chester Bennington, the singer of Lincoln Park, I, I think I may have told you this, that his son used to work at our store, and because he, he lived here local and he would pop in the store sometimes and he was just such a normal 
down to earth dude. And I, and I, not because he's a rock star, because, you know, Linkin Park had all those movie contract stuff. I mean, they made hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, it's big. Linkin Park's a much bigger band than most people realize because, I mean, they did all the soundtracks for video games and movies. And he was just the most, like, legit dude because he would come in to pick up his son right because his son was you know a teenager and so his son would work here at the shop and then sometimes take lessons and stuff he'd pick him and drop off and we would talk uh we meaning the people in the store we just talked to him and um he um bought a guitar funny story he bought a guitar from us and he bought um a amira and he i think a ce24 oh i don't know he didn't buy the ce24 he bought amira and he bought a mexican telly uh, with a black top, Mexican telly with two humbuckers. Not in the same day, just over a period of time he bought those. And I remember every time he'd buy them, uh, two things for funny. That's when I learned what a black card was. I didn't know what a black card was. The, the Now I know, the black Amex. If you have a black Amex, it's like a big deal, right? It's like an infinity swipe card thing. But I'd make jokes like, why are you buying this guitar? Can't you get him for free? And he's like, no one cares what the singer does. <laughs> he's And I, I knew he was just being nice. He's supporting us because he was a nice guy. But he said that uh, we were talking about PRSs one day and I had a bunch of PRSs and, you know, in the store and he was looking at them and we were talking about them and I said, oh, did you try this PRS, this PRS? And he goes, you know, the only good PRS they ever made was the CE24, the bolt on neck ones. And then I was like, oh, yeah. And I did the thing that you do at the time. Like, I, I, I was like, yeah, yeah. C24 is the best one, of course. Like, I'm agreeing with him because I'm just like, you know. And <laughs> and then I started playing them because of that. And I was like, oh, yes, I love these guitars. And it's uh, he's right. It's like the best of both worlds. It's like, it's like a Strat, but pretty. <laughs> so... Um, but like I said, um, and you know, rest in peace. Cause you know, he died uh, as well as you guys know, and he's way too young. He was way too young. Uh, but just, you know, super nice. I mean, he was just super nice. So they, uh, yeah, but C24s, there you go. I don't know how I got on that tangent. Okay. Um, how are we doing? We're about to button it up, but I think we can grab a couple more questions uh, in the chat. Um, <laughs> El Dunarino says, now you have to tell us about the new, mm. um, I'm not <laughs> told you guys, if I learn about it, I'll tell you, cause I'll leak it. Cause I don't care. But if a company has asked me to work with them on the project, uh, in other words, do the videos or anything, I can't, uh, I can't disclose, but let's just say, I'm going to say this. Uh, CE24 has been one of my favorite PRSs for a long time. As you guys know, I love my Mira. I love the CE24. Maybe maybe they'll do more CE24 stuff very, very soon. Super soon. There you go. Um, uh, Brian says CE24 is the PRS sweet spot. I think so too. I, I just like, I really, I really like it. Like I said, and I like bolt-on neck guitars sometimes more than, you know, set neck guitars. Um, and that probably has to do with the fact that I've worked on so many guitars, you know, like, like anybody works on stuff. You like the stuff that's easier, easier to work on because it's easier to work on. Okay. Um, anyone else? Oh, so. Uh, Radfurry24 says, does your Firebird have the Steinberger tuners? It does not. It has Grover style tuners. That was something I was very specific to find. Uh, I did not want those tuners. For no particular reason, there's no like, I don't have a hatred towards those tuners or anything. I just wanted it more traditional. So it has the Grover style tuners. Um, I do have a video that will come of the Firebird. 
I know I've had it for a while, but that's kind of how it works. That's what sucks about, sometimes I debate about showing you guitars that I have uh, that are coming in videos and stuff because sometimes you guys are like, it takes forever. I'm like, sometimes it does. It just takes forever because, you know, I put out the video when I think I fully have an opinion about it that matters, you know, um, cause like I said, I've done too many videos in the past. This is years and years ago where I've done the video in the honeymoon mode. And then, you know, a year later you ask me about it and I don't have the same opinion cause I've, you know, I've processed since then. And, uh, I like to be able to say, no, I, I, my favorite thing is when somebody comes up to me and goes, remember when you reviewed, you know, this, uh, guitar three years ago and I go, yeah. And they go, what do you think of it? I go, still think I love it. Still think this, right. So. I'm not old, I'm finished. Says, does guitar, does tone wood matter in a guitar stand? It does. It's actually where it matters. That's the, I'm not old, I'm finished. You know, you think of mine as sarcastic, but here's the part that's going to blow you guys' mind. It doesn't matter what the guitar is made of, but it absolutely matters what the guitar stand is made of. Don't ask why. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, I like that. Um, Okay, but I will tell you so you guys know, because uh, it's it's come up a many uh, a bunch of times um, when it comes to guitar stands. Uh, you know, PRS makes a guitar stand. They sent me one. I don't have it, uh, and a bunch of the companies have made uh, even String Swing, who I absolutely love, makes a stand like this that's made of metal. I don't like any of the metal stands. None. Um, I want to. Um, the PRS one, I think looks like, I think it, in my opinion, looks better than this one. I think it just looks like, I mean, this looks great, but the, the PRS one looks like art to me. It's amazing. Um, I don't like any of the hard, heavy metal stands or hard edged metal stands around my guitars. It just freaks me out. It's like, my logic is, okay, this is wood. And if it, and my guitar hits this, it's wood and they're both wood and there's a fair fight there and I don't get a ding. <laughs> I haven't had that issue ever happen, but it still uh, scares me that my guitar can bump a metal corner and then, you know, get a ding from that. Um, two people asked me what I thought on the paranormal bass uh, guitars from uh, uh, Squire. I, I've never, I haven't tried them. You know, so, you know, just like when I just did the, the, the new Squire I did, it was just requested from you guys. So I, I'm... You know, if you have requests like that, just throw them at me. Send them to me. Send them in emails. Like I said, when you guys send emails, I, I want you to understand. You send emails, sometimes I don't respond because I don't understand, you know, what the response is. You'll send me like four paragraphs about something and I start skimming through it. But understand, that's how the content gets made. You you have an effect. It's a two-way street on this whole influence thing. It's like I can make content and that may spark you to make a decision, but your guys' comments in the, in the videos and emails and all that stuff, that kind of changes the course of the, the, the ship, so to speak, more than you guys know. I'll be like, oh, that's an interesting idea. I should do that. Or, oh, yeah. And sometimes I'm not the best at following up on this stuff just because, all, you know, like I said, it, I only have so much bandwidth every day, you know, right? Stuff I got to do. But, um, but, yeah, suggest stuff to me constantly. It won't, it doesn't hurt because you never know you, if you get lucky, because sometimes that's what I'm doing. I'm sitting around and, um, you know, the Squire guitar is a good example. The whole reason of reaching out sometimes to the patrons or you guys and asking you about what guitars and stuff that I have on the channel is, um, because, you know, I've, companies have reached out and they've sent me a lot, ton of product and I have a ton of product to do, but after I'll, I'll look at it and I'll look at the calendar and I'll go, man, I feel like this is just going to be a barrage of, you know, new product all the time. 
wouldn't it be nice if we can insert some stuff that people are really more interested in? Um, or sometimes I'll, you know, do something I'm just interested in. Let's see. Ellen says, thank you. I love sitting here with a pot of, a whole pot, Ellen, a pot of coffee. No, I'm just kidding. That's good. A pot of coffee and just listening. That's great. It's like, it's just funny when you said pot of coffee. I'm like a whole pot of coffee. I am. Um, so. Okay. Uh, I'm, unless we have another question or something, I think we're almost done. Or a subject. One last one. Do we got one last one? Then we can start our weekends, play guitar, do stuff. Hold on. Um. Oh, Lee asked, uh, Barry said, Railhammer pickups. Interesting enough, uh, the owner of, I'm pretty sure it's the owner, the owner of uh, Reverend Guitars reached out and said that they'd like to, if I'm ever in the area, they'd like to have me come by their shop and check out Railhammer pickups and uh and stuff and talk about them i'm totally gonna make that happen so now yeah uh, see so see so you know the um i've been doing the youtube shorts with the pickups and stuff and getting that information out and i really like those and it really opens up another uh creative avenue for me so um oh you know what we'll end the show on this because usually the diehards hang out to the end so let's end the show on this um, it's a little premature, so I'm really trusting you guys, um, you know, on this. Um, so, uh, Ben Ash from Sam Ash, uh, has reached out to me. I have not responded to him, so that's why I said it's, I'm, you know, it's not the best way to do this. I usually respond to him first, but I kind of think you might, uh, give me some great information. So please put it in the permanent comments down below. You can put it now, but also in the permanent comments too, later when the video's uh, replaying. Um, the question was Sam Ash, the stores have reached out and asked me if I was interested in doing any more of the restring or clinic events in any of the stores or store. And my answer is yes. Uh, uh, Sean and I talked about it yesterday in great length and we talked about, you know, ideas and I'd be really curious. Um, her, her thought process is to do a clinic and then have a restring event, but I don't do the restrings. I just do the clinic part. Um, but I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on this. I love the idea of getting out there again and hitting a couple of the Sam Ash stores and doing these events. Uh, it's been a while, obviously, because of COVID and stuff, and I think it'd be really cool. Um, so I would love to know this. Um, but my thought process was we could set it up like uh, as an RSVP thing for because it's free. They're free events, and everything would be free. It's just like a clinic. The clinic would be free. The restring events are free kind of thing, right? Um, you know, um, so I would just like I said, love your feedback on that. Obviously I want to do it. So it's not about whether I should do it or not do it. Just if you have ideas, stuff like that, we don't know what to anticipate, how it would work. Um, I think we could do a really cool, like one hour, cool instructional and clinic, and then do some restrings and stuff. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I, like I said, I'm just excited about that as well, but I'm going to respond to him this weekend, but I want to make sure I respond with, you know, a concise idea besides like, yeah, let's do it. I'd like to be like, yeah, let's do a couple stores and hit it and, and do this stuff and it'll be fun. So there you go. I thought I'd share that with you. All right. I think I covered all the questions. If I missed one, especially a super chat, I apologize. You know what I should do real quick? Uh, which I didn't do, 
by the way, all the moderators, uh, I just realized my moderator uh, tab wasn't up. So if you guys were sending me messages, I didn't have it. I apologize for that. <laughs> so, so now I'm going to go, oh no, there's like 500 uh, things from the moderator page. Ready, set, it's uploading right now. It's thinking. Okay. Maybe it's not. <laughs> okay. It's the, okay, what do we got? Uh, oh, we do. Okay, you know what? Let's see if I can grab one. Or maybe not. Why don't I see it? Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, all right. Sorry, moderators. I apologize for not having that up. I did that once to you guys before. I'm going to get that dialed in. This is a new thing we have. Um, the, uh, uh, oh, Shauna wants me to make sure that I do a shout out for HK because he gifted 10 memberships today. Oh, thank you, HK. That's really cool. I didn't even know you could gift a membership. Is that, I thought I saw an explosion of activity, and that's must what that was. So thank you, Shauna, for telling me to thank you, say thank, uh, thank you for that. Uh, Amanda sent me Rad Furry Twenty Three. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried to add binding to a fretboard when uh, when you did a refret? I imagine it wouldn't be easy, but I'm trying to plan how to make it possible. I've never done. Like I've never had to put the binding on after I've refretted a guitar. I've always just fixed binding if there was chips or crack. A lot of times, the only time I've had issues is older guitars. The binding kind of dry rots a little bit, right? I don't know if dry rots. It's just it's brittle, um, and it's what's nightmarish about that. So um, you have to fix it if you in, in some cases, which sucks. But I've never had to like redo the binding. Uh, not that I recall. Um, Evil Moose, <laughs> Evil Moose says, "Hey Phil, do you have a recommendation?" For how to make a strat work for people that hate the volume knob location. Yeah, you move it. It's the easiest thing ever in the world. Um, there are two things you can do. It's really common, so you know, really common for uh, guitar players to say that they hit the strat knob because it's right there. Um, and uh, oh, and by the way, uh, Unfreaking Believable said thank you again for HK for another five memberships because HK did another five memberships. Um, but Evil Moose, um, move it. The great thing is um, you can do it yourself. You just get yourself a pick guard. Uh, there's tons of places to get them where they don't have those holes drilled. That's what you want. So whether you have HSS or SSS or whatever you have, just get a pick guard in and some material you'll like, parchment, white, pearl, whatever, and you get it with the three pickups or whatever your pickup configuration is. You can even get it with a switch. Um, sometimes it's on the more expensive side. In other words, it's just a few dollars more. It's not going to be a huge deal, but Warmoth has a nice service where you can go to their website, pick pick guard, literally <laughs> pick pick guard, um, and then pull it up and then pick the the what pick guard you have, like Strat, the configuration pickups, and then you can say yes, the blade switch, and then say don't drill the holes. So you just unmark the holes, or you can say don't put the volume knob there and leave the tone and the other tone there. And then what I would suggest you do is exactly that. You either delete the volume knob and then get that there, or you just get one without the holes and you drill your own holes and put the knobs where you want them. So it's a really easy thing to map out. Um, what a nice, a little nice thing to do, especially if you're new, uh, more of a novice when it comes to like repair, um, 
go and find yourself a piece of cardboard. Doesn't matter how thick. I would doesn't matter. Just and put uh, the pick card on top of the cardboard and a pencil. Trace the whole thing out. Cut it out with scissors and then do whatever you're going to do to that pick card on that cardboard. Drop the cardboard on the guitar. Make sure that the knobs and everything are lining up and not hitting anything weird like the side of the walls or anything in the route. And then you go, yeah, that's awesome. Then you take the cardboard if it works or if you have to drill new holes and move stuff around, whatever it is, now that's the template to put back on the pick card and then hit your holes and that's how you do it. Um, and there ain't no rules. You just do it the way you want. You don't have to have three knobs. You can delete one of those tone knobs if you want. There's no there's no reason. Um, and, and again, you, with a quick Google, if you say, Fender Strat single, 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 tone knob volume only, it's gonna come right up and you can just use you can clip those uh, tone knob controls out, or you could put a stack tone knob. So you can do whatever you want. It's a super easy thing. Okay. So, um, oh, Iscenic Wolf says uh, 920D also has a lot of options for loaded, unloaded pick cards. Yeah, like I said, uh, there's tons of sources. If you do a Google search, 920D is another company that I've had great success with working, or uh, not working with them, but, you know, with their products, really good and stuff. So it's, it's, uh, it's really cool, right? So there you go. All right, we did it. We did a show. You guys were great guests as always. Uh, I want to say thank you. I saw some, uh, saw a lot of names today, uh, and I'm sorry if I didn't get all the stuff there, but sometimes it scrolls a little fast. It's a little weird. But as always, uh, I, you guys make this just amazing Fridays. I'm sorry I missed last Friday. Um, I'm excited we are able to have it today. And uh, you guys have a great weekend. Till... When? Till next Friday. <laughs> Till next Friday. Uh, thank you for your time and know your gear.